Think back for a moment to March or April. If you're like me, the idea that we'd be in the position we're now in with COVID-19 was unfathomable then. We thought that we were going to quote-unquote flatten the curve and Dr. Amy Acton was telling us daily that we're doing great and we could do hard things. But here we are in August, and we're not only on a backslide with cases in Ohio on the rise, but we're struggling to figure out what to do with Ohio's schools. Bars and restaurants opened and remain open, and our state's daycares are open, even though the policies around that opening are largely incoherent. But schools? We're not sure. As we think about Ohio schools, there are questions about what should be driving our decision, with most agreeing that it should be one thing, health. But what does that mean exactly? Especially when we think about the balance between physical and emotional health. And with all the focus on the students, what about the teachers and staff? On today's episode, we talk with Tyler Buchanan of the Ohio Capital Journal about some great reporting he's been doing on the challenges of opening Ohio's schools. This is Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. As always, before turning to my conversation with Tyler, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts, and consider following us on Twitter and other social media. If you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com, especially for the upcoming candidate spotlights that we're going to be doing. We'd love to know about candidates that you think we should talk with. Also, check out our new website at prognosisohio.com, where we're going to be housing an archive of episodes and show notes, links to social media, show production information, community resources, and more. Again, that's at prognosisohio.com. And while you're checking out the new website, please consider becoming a Prognosis Ohio patron for just $3 a month. It's really helpful to us, especially as we continue to make the show a bit of a more professional and sustainable operation. As just one example, to make our show more accessible, we'd like to be able to spend a few bucks each episode to provide transcripts of the episodes for those who may not be able to listen. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in $3 a month and become a Prognosis Ohio Patreon. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Okay, and now to our conversation with Tyler Buchanan of the Ohio Capital Journal. Tyler Buchanan from the Ohio Capital Journal, thanks so much for talking with me about your reporting on schools in Ohio. Thanks so much for having me on. I have to say, you're the. I think I was. I know this is a little light-hearted way to begin, but you have a double presidential name of Tyler Buchanan. Is that been? Is that factored into your life? The fact that you have two presidential names in your for first and last name. I've I've always appreciated it, and I've always kind of had this in the back of my head. Whenever I have kids, I have to pick something that keeps that trend going. So there's about five or ten names out there of the forty or so presidents that we've had that can keep that going so <laughs> although the problem is i mean let's be honest not great presidents exactly right these aren't the uh the, the, the stars so <laughs> yeah and even be even president buchanan yeah, i wish he was maybe a little bit uh more renowned but yeah. nonetheless well anyway i'm glad to to meet you and to do this and um you know thanks for taking the time so uh so we're talking about this article today uh that you published on july 28th and I really appreciated this article because what you do in it is you focus, you know, so much of the conversation around school policy and school reopening has been around the students. And obviously students are really important and we care about their health and well-being, but almost um, in such a way that we haven't heard much about teachers, I think. That's me, me editorializing a little bit. Um, 
but but you you kind of flip that and, and really say like how are teachers processing this? So I, I wonder if you could just start by giving us kind of the the wide lens on what you have learned through this reporting. Right. So this summer has been sort of unusual because there are so many aspects of the COVID nineteen response from the the federal government level to the state government level and then down to the local level that have been handled in different ways. And education is sort of a weird one where Governor DeWine has sort of taken the tack that I'm going to give agency to each of the 600 or so public school districts in Ohio to they they can operate this fall how they best see fit and whatever options um, might best benefit their local students, perhaps depending on how the COVID-19 statistics look in their particular area. We've sort of seen this. um, We saw Governor DeWine gravitate away from sort of the statewide responses. Now, the mask mandate is kind of one exception to that recently, but this is sort of more falling in line with how he's approaching this. So each of the different school districts are sort of, were throughout this summer trying to plan ahead on what they wanted to do. And the thing that I was noticing was that school teachers seemed pretty worried about it but more to the point, they felt like their voices were not being heard. And so that's really what the impetus behind my article was, is trying to at least share to people what the specific concerns that teachers have throughout the state of Ohio, um, particularly since they feel like their voices are not being heard either by their local districts or just the state at large. So in, in the piece, you identify five areas of worry. And I actually wanted to read those because it it really breaks it down nicely. And you note that, you know, many people that you've spoken with, and this makes sense, this is not surprising, didn't want to be identified by name, although there are some in in the piece. Um, You know, they worry about the logistics of going back, like inevitable staffing shortages upon an outbreak of COVID-19 at the school. That's the first one. They worry about their students' health and the health of those who live with them. Um, So, you know, teachers caring about their students as well. It's important to see. Um, and not surprising. They worry about their pocketbooks and the necessary costs of providing cleaning supplies to make the rooms as safe as possible. And this is a narrative that you know, I'm an educator, although uh, I'm a university educator, but we've heard this for a long time about how, how much uh, teachers in the United States and in Ohio are going out of pocket. Uh, and this adds to that. Um, they worry for their own safety and they fear that their decision to return so quickly could cost them their lives. I mean, that's so this is really serious and, and amplifying that part of their voice um, really frames the the discussion. Can you just tell me about the worry? Like when you talk to folks, um, you know, is this, is this positioning <laughs> as some critics have said that they kind of, they're kind of treating it like, or is this real genuine worry? Well, let me, let me just say this and I'll, I'll give briefly, you know, some inside baseball on this kind of thing. We reporters like to put out, you know, little messages on social media or things trying to ask for, you know, if, if people, have certain comments about a certain topic or whatever to reach out to them. And you're usually crossing your fingers for a couple. Mm-hmm. I got within 48 hours. I mean, I got almost a hundred and that, that already spoke to me how serious these teachers took it because they, they went out of their way to reach out to me to express their concerns. And what was so striking, Dan, is how I had people from very different areas of the state in very different situations. You had teachers in rural districts and in urban ones, you know, big cities and small. You had ones that are teachers. I had substitutes. I had a principal. I had counselors. I had, you know, nurses. I had a coach. 
you know, and I was seeing over and over and over with these hundred or so, you know, emails and texts and tweets and all these things that I got, I was seeing the same concerns just over and over. And you, you asked, how serious do these people take it? I mean, I, I heard from probably no fewer than five or 10 that explicitly mentioned I have been spending the past couple of weeks doing estate planning and planning my wills, which is how I started the article, because this is how seriously they take it. Um, some of them have specific health conditions that they disclose to me and, and they outlined to me very clearly, you know, I have um, some kind of pre-existing condition that if I, if I were to contract the virus, it could be a death sentence to me. I heard that phrase three or four different times independently of one another. And it just really tells you how serious that they take it. You know, so much of the conversation in the media that I've seen around the school reopening has, and and this is not, you know, um, like an invalid thing to say, but it's breaking down kind of the vulnerability of the students. So, you know, one to 10, you know, how much they transmit, their susceptibility to getting sick, to getting seriously ill or even dying, and then 10 to, you know, 18 and, and kind of saying, well, kids in those categories are essentially adults, as far as we know, around how the, how the virus seems to work. But you also kind of call out this interesting thing in the article, which is this one line really grabbed me, right? We're viewed in society as glorified babysitters. Maybe this idea that fundamentally we are thinking about teachers as solving an employment problem rather than as educators, professionals who do a job, who take it seriously, who really care. We're just like, and I'm saying we, because I mean, I'm a parent and also thinking about what's going to happen in the fall. There, There is a tendency that I'm noticing around the state to kind of just be seeing schools as a way to solve the employment problem rather than thinking about education and health and, and all that. And this is really putting childcare <laughs> itself and the, the dependence that we have on our schools at the forefront. Yeah, you bring up a lot of great points there. I, I think it points to, and, and we've seen this and observed it and lived it, almost all of us, of how much COVID-19 just involves so many aspects of our lives in so many different ways and then how those ways compound each other. And I write in the story how the problems compound each other. Mm-hmm. And and so it's like, you can't look at a big situation like this with schools and, and you're thinking, okay, schools, you know, education and health. Well, there's so many other situations at play, so many other factors at play. And you mentioned the glorified babysitters line, you know, that, that is the feeling that some of them have that, that this push to reopen is not based necessarily on the belief that education can be healthy this fall. It's based in part on a belief that it is necessary to bring these kids back because the economy is reopened for the most part. And many of the parents or guardians are, are back to work or have other priorities that they're working on. And that really gets to the fundamental question. You know, when, when we shut down in March and April, and I went back and I reviewed a lot of those press conferences and I, I listened to them again months later, just so I could understand the context from what we know now. And when you hear those announcements about things getting shut down, the only factor they mention is health. I mean, just singularly, that is what you heard Governor DeWine 
Dr. Amy Acton talk about is the health ramifications of closing versus keeping them open. And now that we've sort of unraveled that, you know, by May, a lot of things were reopening again. During the summer, we're talking about bringing the schools back. And now in many districts throughout the state of Ohio, they have reopened back. We're hearing different things come into that conversation, right or wrong. I'm just, I'm just pointing it out that we talk about, you know, what are the economic impacts? What are the childcare impacts? You know, all these things. And, and again, you can make a good case that those belong in this conversation, but it is still to say we are not necessarily bringing these school children back because we can prove that it is safe to do so. And that is why a lot of the teachers really feel miffed about this because they feel that there's a different way to go about this. They think that there's a different option, which is going to online. Right. And we'll get to that in a second. It just occurs to me, you know, I, so I teach health policy and I talk about health policy a lot with students and others. And now I've tried to impress upon people I talk with that health policy is, you know, much more than just what, like this traditional kind of model of, of medicine and all of that. What we've done is we've created this policy dynamic in the state where all of our economic policy decisions have now are treating the schools like a backstop. And, you know, the, as you write, the majority of the businesses are now open. Um, and there's just incredible pressure to keep the schools open. And I have to say, just in case it gets lost in this, I mean, I give a lot of our uh, educational professionals, superintendents, certainly teachers, but the people who are making the decisions about opening or closing, even the board um, in various cities around Ohio, I give them a lot of credit. I don't envy their position at all because they have been given a really terrible hand to play. Yeah. And, and a lot of the things that you're talking about, those are out of their control. The, the economic decisions and, you know, which businesses are back and which workers are back, that is out of those educators even those administrators as control. So yeah, I, I definitely understand the pressure. And and one other thing um, that I mentioned in the article, I heard from several teachers and administrators from private schools and their perspective was really interesting because they talk about, you know, we're at a tuition-based school that is faced with the decision, do we go all online or do we bring the kids back? And they said, it is a really difficult message to give to the parents and guardians of a tuition-based school. Hey, we're going to go all online. One of them told me something, I, I think I quoted, you know, who wants to pay for an only online school? Yeah. And so that's that gets to an economic pressure based on their business model. And again, that's not... That is not a reason of we think it's healthy and safe to do this. That is a economic, you know, business model reason. And it just, it gets really tricky. You know, I teach in higher education, the university level, and even you know, I've I've been wanting oh, to yeah. for a while, but one and I know that's not our focus now or, or, or the focus of your article, but I've noticed over the last 10, 12, 15, even years since I've been in this this gig, um, that the language of experience has become more important. It's not just about getting an education. It's and and I've seen students push back and, the, and when they're thinking about do I just stay online or should I take a semester off, <laughs> right? You know, and explore uh, some Nietzsche or something like you know read read some uh, some Proust. Um, like they're they're pointing to the fact that they don't just go to college to learn; they go for the experience. 
And I think n- almost nobody can demonstrate, because I'll just say as an educator, teaching online kind of sucks. Like, I really don't enjoy it very much, but that's not the question before us, right? The question before us is, what's safe? And, and that's the thing is, right or wrong, those other topics are going to come into play. But it, it's just to say at the end of the day, when something is life or death that some of these teachers see this as, that should, to them, that should be the only question is the health question. And it's being kind of mired in some of these other questions. So it's, it's, but it's very difficult. And, and again, you want to talk about higher ed pressure. That's a conversation for a different time. But I mean, that, that gets exactly to what we're talking about. I guess I just want to talk a little bit about the, the, the guidance issue. So, you know, the state uh, seems to have an appetite for um, home rule or local decision making um, in this particular case, which can be read in various ways, right? On the one hand, there is a taste for that sometimes in Ohio. On the other hand, it's also pretty convenient because large policy decisions can sometimes be very unpopular. But w- w- how do you understand the kind of decision making levels? And I'll just give you an example. I mean, I'm in Grandview. Um, the Grandview schools, like a week ago, issued um, their guidance for what they were thinking for the fall. Franklin County Public Health issued some new guidance and all of a sudden everybody, you know, now there's an emergency meeting to rethink everything. It seems like people reacting and shifting gears a lot. And I'm not criticizing them for doing it, but politically, is, is this, is this a moment where you just need the state to put its hand down and to make a decision? So there's some kind of like predictability. Right. And, and again, that is, that is the really tricky part, you know, just looking at this objectively and looking at what role, should Governor DeWine have played in the past four months versus what role should, you know, the president and the, in the white house play, what role should local 88 County boards of health play? I mean, these, these are really difficult questions and, and they're all doing it. You know, they're all trying to make the best decisions on the fly, the best that they can. The schools thing is really, it's, it's a challenge. Like I said, because governor DeWine's approach has trended less and less towards statewide mandates. Again, the mass mandate is a little bit of an exception, but by and large throughout the summer, if you've been if you've been watching this progression, it has progressed away from, you know, a statewide approach to trying to tackle this more on a local level. We've seen that with the the 88 county chart that he's got the different colors on. And school districts, you know, there's 600 and I think 10 of them, 611. And if you've been following on a district by district level, some of these decisions that are getting made, every time they announce that they're going online, you should just see the Facebook comments. Hmm. I mean, again, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure. Like I said, there's a lot of parents that are trying to get back to work. There's a lot of parents and guardians that cannot necessarily afford um, childcare. And so these are really tough decisions. And so I, I guess it depends on how cynical you wanna be, you know, the governor passing along the pressure of this decision onto the 610 school boards and superintendents, et cetera. Um, But at the same time, again, it's, can you say, you know, definitively that how we approach this and say Columbus city schools in an urban setting that's in a red County should be the same as the County I used to cover, which is Vinton County. It's the, only school district in the whole county, only 14,000 people in the entire county. Should it be approached the same way? I'm not sure. So it's just, it's a really tricky one. At the same time, 
by doing it on a district by district basis, what you're looking at is some districts that are going full in-person session, some that are doing a blended model, some that are giving students a choice, some that are going straight online. Is it fair that some districts give their students and families a choice to go online or not? Other districts don't. That's it's. These are just really difficult questions. And I think when all is said and done, we will look back and, and you know, DeWine says this, where you'll look back and you'll critique different decisions that he's made one way or another. But it, schools is just so hard because, like you said, we don't know yet the impact that children might have with the coronavirus. So it's tough. It's a tough conversation. And just two quick reactions. I mean, one, one thing I wanted to add to that conversation is, um, you know, the counties like Vinton County or Athens County. I mean, you know, where some of the counties where you have, in, especially in rural areas where the, the internet infrastructure is not in place, like it's not even really clear you can do good online education. And not to mention the fact that some of these kids may not have just the equipment they need and the county, the departments, uh, the schools might not be able to provide them, even though there's some federal money and all that coming through. So it's really like, I mean, I have colleagues at the college level who have lose their internet for days. Um, and these are university professors. So like, could we, you know, how do we, how do we navigate that? At the same time, there are people I'm hearing saying, you know, okay, online education in March and April, just to finish up the school kind of stunk, right? Nobody was really happy, but we could have spent the whole summer in getting ready for a fall online. Instead, I don't see many parents out there who are convinced that anything is going to be different, that they've spent that time doing that work. Absolutely. That's exactly what I heard from one of the sources in my story who said, you know, what, what have we been doing for the past four months? And again, if we would have known in May or even early June that we were going to see the spike that we had, you know, we might've been able to react a little bit differently, but there was this feeling in June that, Hey, the numbers look better. Um, We think we've, uh, you know, mission accomplished and we've, we flattened the curve and we're good to go. And like you said, there are districts that made decisions in June and early July that are now having to change their tune. And that is very difficult. You're talking about three or so weeks until the fall semester was going to go. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned the difficulties with March and April. I mean, there were districts in Southern Ohio that had to partner with local businesses like, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings to provide Wi-Fi in their parking lots yeah. to have families come and do their homework in a parking lot of a B-dubs. I mean, that is not a situation that's enviable for anybody. But, but the one thing that I... You know, I just remember one of my sources saying it wasn't a great situation in March or April. An online school is not the preferred option for many people. But the point is, the point is that we stayed safe. Mm-hmm. And another person that told me education is essential, but education in your preferred format is not essential. Yeah. That just really, I mean, I, it's hard to put it in better words than that. So, so at the end of the day, you know, do I have a do I have a view as a reporter of how these districts should handle it? I think that's up to them, and it's hard for me to say that, and it's hard for the teachers to say that. But the point is, they have concerns, and those concerns should be factored in to the decisions that are made. 
Great. Well, I think that's a nice place to 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 end it. Unless there's anything you wanted to add that got sort of uh, left out of this, or that's uh, even developed in the, just a couple days since it came out. Yeah, it's just, it's been interesting because right after it published, you know, Columbus City Schools made their announcement, um, and we've seen you mentioned Franklin County Public Health put out their guidance, and that's uh, that's made a couple of districts in our area change their tune. And I'm I'm curious if any other districts throughout Ohio, not necessarily in Columbus. We'll do the same, but I just, I encourage people to, to read our piece um, at ohiocapitaljournal.com and just, you know, if you haven't had a chance to hear what these teachers and staff members think, you really owe it to yourself and you owe it to them uh, to hear them out. And you can kind of, you know, base your opinions off that a little bit. I, I hope people have an open mind to that. Great. Well, you know, as always, we're going to be linking to your story, to other stories. Um, you know, we love the Ohio Capital Journal. I enjoy doing some commentaries there from time to time. And uh, I'm just glad that we can take these really important pieces of journalism and just talk about them a little bit to provide a little bit more context. And also, I mean, as you've seen, I, I, I always think about, you know, I think at one point in my life, I thought being a journalist would be cool. And I still think that. But God, you know, how, how do you keep up with just the fluidity of these things? It's like, even with the internet, you hit post and it's like something else happened already. So, why has has twenty twenty been a been a busy news year? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the other big point uh, with this is that whatever people are talking about now with the schools, it's going to be different. And I think we've learned that at Ohio University, the uni- like people are complaining that the university doesn't maybe know exactly what's going to happen or have a plan. And I'm just thinking, you know, man, nobody knows what's going to happen in a certain way. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, prepare better or worse, but it's really a hard environment to operate in. Absolutely. Thanks, Tyler, for joining me and uh, look forward to having you back in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. Many thanks to Tyler Buchanan for joining us on the show. You can read his reporting at the Ohio Capital Journal at ohiocapitaljournal.com. And we've included direct links to the stories we discussed in this episode in our show notes and on social media. You can also find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the podcast experience tab. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. Please take a minute to subscribe to Prognosis Ohio, follow us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio, friend us on Facebook, and check out our new website at prognosisohio.com. As always, we encourage you to reach out with your suggestions and your feedback. Thanks for listening and be well.